לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. in New York City, I'm with Barry Chesler, Solomon Schechter, Day School of Long Island. It is great to see you guys. Uh, this is an amazing Parsha. Vayeshev, look, it's my bar mitzvah Parsha, I'm biased, so I do want to say it's the best Parsha, but that, that's not fair. So, <laughs> I just want to add something here. I think you've said it, I know I've said it, Jeremy, I assume you too. We each have a kind of ownership for our bar mitzvah Parsha. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. You know, I, it's a line I use with bar mitzvah boys and bar mitzvah girls. When you learn a parsha or you learn a piece of a parsha, you you it's like that becomes your your hold, your foothold in the Torah. And and my bar mitzvah was many many decades ago, and um, this this parsha has shaped in a way uh, a lot of my appreciation of the Torah. Certainly, and I don't know, you know, to what extent it's 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 influenced me. I'll tell you in one way it's influenced me. It's a great story. Okay. It sure is. And By the way, it, this is, I, I, I'm, I, not only do I have said that about my own Parsha, but I bet the, the two of you have four other Parshiot that you feel that way about as well. Absolutely. And Bayeshev is Hadassah's Batmas for Parsha. There you go. Okay. So, so when you were studying this with your daughter, Hadassah, uh, you must have noticed that this is one of the best told stories. That is to say, in terms of storytelling and storytelling technique, um, we would be hard-pressed to find equivalent stories or equal, equally powerfully told stories. Although I think we could come up with our top 10 list. We were you know, debating uh, this uh, before. Um, this, this would certainly be in, in my list. of. of so to 10. add to what you said, Elliot, this Parsha also gave rise to one of the great works of world literature, Thomas Mann's I, Joseph in Egypt. And one of the great plays on Broadway, <laughs> Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Jinko. It's not an accident. It's not an accident that Andrew Lloyd Webber used this as a great kind of opera because it's operatic. The, the, the themes, the telling, the storytelling. And it's not an accident, you know, that the narrator, the narrator in Joseph and the, uh, is the main character. Because the narrator here, uh, once we begin Vayeshev, is is really the one who who artfully tells the story and 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 puts this. I'll give you one example of this, which is that in in the way that the brothers see Joseph coming from a distance, and that in the way that they say, "We will see what will happen from his dreams," and then later on, it's the uh, the Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph or you know lifts her eyes so the idea that we uh, there's so much repetition of seeing that has a way of of priming the the listener or the reader 
to kind of imagine that this is playing out in front of you on a stage. That's why I, I, it's, it's, it's a, if you want to learn storytelling technique, you want to, you want to be a great storyteller, read this Parsha, read the next three Parshiyot, memorize them, learn why they are great stories and how they are being told. So here we are. We're starting out with, with, with Joseph. And the first scene in this Parsha is Joseph and his dreams. And we have two dreams. The, the first dream is that we are, we are uh, uh, gathering wheat in the fields and your bundles of wheat are bowing down to me. Okay? So imagine, imagine you hear this dream. Right? You don't need to be Sigmund Freud to understand this dream. Right. And and that's exactly what they say to him. They say, uh, what? You're gonna you know reign over us? Is that what's gonna happen? And of course, you know, we all know the ending. Spoiler 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 alert, right? Rashi 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 says spoiler alert, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the second dream is the sun and the moon and eleven stars are bowing down to me. So I wanna you know, we say the first dream is earth on this land. The second dream is heaven, okay? The first dream is agriculture. The second dream is the, the, the you know, beyond. The first dream is about power and the relationship of power and agriculture. I think there's another story going on there. The second dream is something in the broad sweep of history. Okay? So, you know, it's interesting what you say, Elliot. What we have here, the the two dreams are one. Joseph might have said here, as he yeah. says in the next parsha. But there's no urgency here, like there is in the next set of dreams in Paro's dreams. Yes. So, so why so do you think that is? I think because we're we're looking at a 17 year old boy here, an adolescent who's precocious, who is already aware of his, as we have said before in previous years. His prodigious talent. I think that that what what a seventeen year old understands or has begun to understand is is that and especially Joseph, who who has has amazing talent, amazing knowledge, amazing insight, and he is he is in this preferential relationship with his father, which already differentiates him from the rest of his brothers, and because of the coat, and maybe 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 other things that are identifiable about him in terms of his good looks, in terms of his, maybe his sexuality, etc. There is something that is different about him. And, and they know it, and he knows it. He is not able to express it all, but he's just beginning. And the dreams, and the urgency with which, which he says, you know, I have a dream, I have a dream, you know, that, that is all the excitement of youth. It it's it's gonna get uh you know, mollified over the course the next 20 years, basically. Yeah. I just want I like the uh, observation about the agriculture and the and the heavenly blessing. Back when Abraham was making the covenants with God, there's there's two. There's a you know a star blessing, look up in the heavens and count the stars if you can count them, or you know, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth that cannot be counted. And so in, in a certain way, Joseph's two dreams echo the, the blessings to Abraham. Actually, they're, you know, in, in the realm of earth and in the realm of heaven. They're coming true. But I, one thing I think, by the way, is different, you know, the question of urgency. Why does it seem unurgent? Um, Joseph's dreams are about 
these dreams are about destiny that's going to play out over a long period. Those other dreams that he interprets that other people get, they're about what's going to happen tomorrow or in three days or, or in the next that's seven years. Uh, you're talking about the butler and the baker, which we... You know, we, we so we, maybe the difference, the, the point of wisdom is Yaakov's reaction to the second dream, which is Yaakov Shemarit Adavar. Shemarit Adavar. That Yaakov knows to be silent. It seems upsetting, you know, that this... Little Pisher is going to become our master, but we can't rule it out. You know, Yaakov, but Joseph can't exhibit any kind of discretion, as you yeah. described him. He holds on to things. He settles scores, Yaakov. But Yaviv Devar. He holds on to this because he knows that this piece of information is going to somehow un- be valuable later on, or this might be a premonition. But but the way the story unfolds. I mean, it's a catastrophe for him. Okay, just a, so so uh, you know, we can't escape the 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 conflict. The the boys, the brothers are out with their pasture, with their flocks, and Jacob says, "Go and look for them. Go and tell us Ashivani Davar, and and basically spy on them or t- tell me something about them and come back to me." Okay, and they see him from a distance. And they conspire the minute they see him, the minute they see him, impulsively, instinctively, they conspire. They must, they hate him so much. They want to kill him. All right? Here he's coming, the dreamer. Let's kill him. And we'll throw him into a pit. We'll say, a wild animal ate him. And we'll see what will be of his dreams. And then Ruben says, I love it. Ruben is like the total dolt here. No, 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 no. Let's not spill blood. We will put him in a pit. Let not a hand touch him so that we can save him, so that we can return him to his father. And then what happens? They're, 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 they, they throw him in a pit. They, they, they see him come. They strip his coat off. They throw him in the pit. And they sit down. I love this line. They sit down and they have a feast. They have lunch. <laughs> so it's reminiscent of that great scene in Goodfellas where um, Billy Bats has just gotten out of prison and he ends up being bludgeoned almost to death in the bar. And Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci put him in the trunk and stop at Joe Pesci's mother's house so they could have dinner. Oh, he's kind of choking on his blood in the trunk. <laughs> and then and he gets away. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so interesting. You know, we we I always like to, to make reference to films, although I wouldn't I would I, I didn't remember that one for this. I'll have to use it in a, in a future class. I have a film in mind for later on, but but yeah, exactly. That that's the whole point. The point is that that we are oblivious to his suffering. There's human suffering going on here, and we're having lunch. Basically. Well, actually, that's that, that that emerges beautifully, you know, later on in uh, in I, I don't know if it comes up in me in Miketz or Vayigash, but uh, the brothers not knowing that Joseph understands them when they speak Hebrew, they say, "Well, we we listened to him pleading with us, and we ignored him." It doesn't say it here. Right. It, later it, on, in retrospective, they later say, "You remember when he was begging us and pleading us, and we just and we didn't we didn't pay any attention." Um, so that's that beautiful little storytelling. I mean, let's see what happens to his dreams 
Well, which is it's such a great line because yeah. you know, and, and once the once we are listening to the Torah, we know it's the Torah. So we already know the story. So anyone who is hearing the Torah read in synagogue or at any era in history already knows what happens. So when the brothers obliviously say, ha, 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 we're gonna we're let's Mr. Dreamer is gonna come, we're gonna stop this. We all we all know that destiny destiny takes a hand. So, but we might give the brothers a little bit of credit for not killing him then, because then only by accident, only by accident, only because the Ishmaelim come along, and I mean, there's the famous, there's the famous, uh, you know, uh, uh, midrash. No, no, uh, well, y yes, midrash, but uh, based on the, um, uh, the the small incoherence of the text, it, it they're going to sell them, but. Do they sell to the Ishmaelim or to the Midianim, or maybe the Ishmaelim steal them and then they sell them to the Midianim? Uh, the obvious story is that the brothers sold him into slavery, but the way the Torah reads Pshat, it looks like somebody else pulls him out of the pit before the brothers get a chance to sell him into slavery. But but that's not good. The whole story is that they sell their brother down the road into slavery. Right. Okay. The so we were talking before we recorded about the famous rabbinic statement, that what happens to the ancestors are signs for what will happen to their children. So here it's pretty clear that the Israelites, what we would call the Jews, are responsible for the slavery of Yosef. Do we want to suggest then that when we get to Sefer Shmot that somehow the Hebrews are responsible there in in some way for their slavery? I, well, absolutely, I, I, because... I going, yeah. Absolutely, because we've talked about this. I've I've hammered this point home in various of our discussions over the years. In Lech Lecha, and this is, this is the Ramban exactly, when Abraham and Sarah come down and he says, you know, Leman yitavli ba'avurech v'chayatan afshi biglalech, we're going to sell you into the harem so that they will do well with me for your sake and, and save me alive thanks to you. Um, that's the exact same words that's going to happen with the with the girls being saved alive out of the river. All the boy babies they threw in the Nile and all the girl babies they saved alive for harem use. Um, the Ramban, Nachmanides in the 13th century says, oh yeah, this is why slavery is decreed on the people because Abraham gave up his wife into sexual slavery, that this is Ma'aseh Simanabanim. This is the punishment of Abraham's, I mean, I think it is an extraordinary, uh, you know, we, we, you know, the 21st century, with our eyes, are accustomed to noting, oh my goodness, Abraham, he sells his wife into Pharaoh's harem, and, and we actually are accustomed to reading mistakenly, because the Torah says clearly that, that, that God stopped Abimelech from touching Sarah. We are to think that God stopped Pharaoh, but it doesn't say that. It actually says the opposite. So, yes, our own exploitation or Avram's exploitation of Sarah produces this. We like in the 20, 21st century to say, oh, the Akedah, Avraham shouldn't have done that. Well, here's something else that he really shouldn't have done. And there is that punishment. So I do think that there is in the Torah itself, and, and here's another one straight out of the rabbis, but not, um, you know, but not, not so obviously in the Torah, that uh, God says, it says that uh, God dispatched Moses to Pharaoh and to the Israelites to rescue them from slavery. 
there's a, a, a rabbinic statement that says, so the first mitzvah was to the Israelites to release their own slaves. They had slaves in Egypt. They, they, were, they were slaves to Pharaoh, but also in a hierarchical, stratified Jewish society of rich and poor, there were Jews who had slaves. And, and they also were involved in the exploitation. I mean, it's an amazing rabbinic comment. I like here one one last footnote on this first story. So when Judah says, uh, you know, let's let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, Viadeno uh, Altivo, and our our hand won't touch him, because he's our brother, <laughs> our plan. So I mean, that's why I say it's it's this wonderful storytelling because it's filled with these kind of you know irony upon irony and dramatic irony and, and, and humor and sarcasm and maybe not and take it seriously. Uh, you know, there's so many ways to, to read it, obviously. You know, it's like you're you're watching almost slapstick, but it's not. It's 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 a hey, tragedy of errors. Absolutely. Okay. So uh they sell him and and he goes to Potiphar's household. All right. We have th there's this this story that doesn't seem to fit here. This is Judah, the story of Judah, and his marriage to the daughter of Shua, her death, the birth, the birth to Judah of Er, Onan, and Shalem, and then the, the 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 turning point here, where Judah gets a wife for his oldest son Er, and it says Vayikach. Uh, he acquires a wife for his son, whose name is Tamar. Okay? But Er dies. And what has to happen after that is that Onan, the next son, according to the law of the Leverite, or the custom in place of the Leverite marriage, has to maintain the brothers, the deceased brother's line. Okay? Onan understands that if he fathers a child with uh, Tamar, it won't be his child. It will be under his brother's name. So he doesn't do that exactly. Uh, and because he doesn't do that, uh, he is wicked in God's sight. He doesn't. He doesn't want to cohabit, or he cohabits with with Tamar. Uh, but it doesn't fulfill the cohabitation. Oh, oh, come on. You can do better than that. <laughs> he cohabits with her in such a way, such that, a that, way. That, that, that heterosexual pregnancy is not an actual possibility. There you go. Okay. And because of that, he takes he has taken advantage of her. And, in, and not only that, he has not acted with kindness towards his deceased brother. And Well, and, it's a double sin. Yes. So, first of all, he does not fulfill... Uh, the point of the Leverite marriage, which is to provide an heir for the dead brother, but he also, by not fathering a child in his dead brother's name, he is rejecting Tamar as a wife. Exactly. Because she can only become his wife exactly. after he has fathered his son for his dead brother. Yes. And by not doing that, he's saying that she's never going to be my wife. Exactly, and so well, she never is because he's going to die in punishment. Well, I don't um, think he knew that at the moment. But, the, the well, that's, but that's like the dreams. That's actually like the dreams because people do things like we all know this in just regular life. We watch people do things that make sense to them. That we say, "What were you thinking?" Okay, 
Um, and so the 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 wise person, the insightful person, can see where this is going, and the dopes, uh, you know, kind of blunder on. I mean, it's like it's like the Aesop and the Yako story. Aesop comes in, he's hungry. I need lunch right this minute, or I'm going to die. All right, sell the birthright. Who cares? Onan could have taken the long view and seen why this was best for everybody. And he's got a very short view, and the short view uh, ends up corresponding to a short life. Indeed. And, and, and I think the, the, the Torah really signals to us, the, you know, in the way that the Torah always signal, signals moral flaw or moral, moral violation, that, that phrase is, is really a coded phrase. You see it, Abraham, you, it's, the, the, the Torah uses the phrase when God wants to destroy Saddam. The Torah uses the phrase in other places where, where you know, when when God says, or when when sorry, when when Sarah says to Avram, kick out uh, Hagar and Ishmael by Avraham. This is it, it's you the translate, translate, translate. I'm sorry, translate, tra- translate. It means that it is evil in the sight of, and that that is a way of saying uh, it's a moral offense. This is a moral offense. So what Onan does. In, in all the layers of what he does is is so morally repugnant it 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 it, it doesn't withstand uh God's mercy and therefore uh he is put to death by yamet gamoto so here is the bereaved father now Judah bereaved of his firstborn heir his secondborn Onan he has a thirdborn Shela who now according to the Leverite system has to marry also tomorrow and he he has his own interest of preserving her because his two sons are dead. Okay, but I think she's bad news. She's bad news. So she's she's the winner in the, in the story. I guess if you can say that there's a winner, maybe she's not. So she disguises herself as a as a harlot. She seduces or Judah sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant, seemingly quite easily. That's different from all the way that the other the other matriarchs in the in the up until now. They don't get pregnant so easily, but tomorrow, you know, no problem. And she has, and when 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 Jacob, when Judah discovers that she's pregnant with twins, he says, "Wow, you know, she, she's she's become a prostitute. Take her out and have her burned." But Judah has already deposited a collateral with her because he's promised her an animal for payment, and she shows up with his basically his credit card, his ID, his driver's license, everything. She's got all the ID for him. And she said, and and basically she says, it, the one who owns these things is responsible. Who owns this signet, these cords, and this staff? He recognizes it. And, and you have, it's not outrighteous me. You have been, you are totally right. right? So and, it's a curious thing here because first, I think Yehuda blames Tamar for the death of Aaron Onan, which is why he's reluctant to marry Shelah. And then he blames Tamar for adultery, when in fact he's the one who impregnated her. And ultimately he's going to abandon her, right? Yeah, because but, okay, he's so not going to marry her. Judah, in a sense. Oh, well, no, wait a second. I, no, I, don't think that, that, I don't think that last conclusion was right. It says he never has sex with her again. I don't think that that means I, oh, one only the Tosafists think you could live in the house with a woman and not have sex. <laughs> okay, so it, it is fair to say. I mean, there, but I, I have just a different interpretation of that fact. 
Um, you one could t totally say yes. Now that renders her off limits for another person, and she's a human being, so she might want to she might want to have a sexual partner. But um, but I think that the that the crux of the story here is that Leverite marriage. I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording. Leverite marriage is this, um, a, you know, in the Torah's mind, in the in the mind of halacha later. I mean, this is a story in Genesis, so it's before the story was given. There's always a little bit of gap between the early behavior and then the post behavior after the law is promulgated. But um, Leverite marriage is this is this required act. It's this mitzvah act which is right at the border of adult of incest it's a, it's a transgression you're not ordinarily a, 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 a man cannot sleep with a sister-in-law and never but except there's this one case the levirate marriage the, the dead childless brother so there's this one avenue by which what is ordinarily a a prevailing prohibition lapses but there is not a basic uh avenue for a father-in-law daughter-in-law and yet that is what Yuda has done i think there's two at least two interesting things that are going on here one about the part about they never had sex again is i think that the torah wants to say by the way i just want you to know Yehuda totally understood that this was a providential act this was not for his own you know satisfying his own urges or anything like that it never happened again so Yehuda was pretty pretty you know he had the right values about that but the second thing is which is because because Peretz will be the ancestor of David will be the ancestor of the of the Redeemer. There's a way in which the Torah tells a story that says, by the way, we got lots of laws, we got lots and lots of laws, we got lots of norms. That's the way to live. And sometimes the most important things happen when the norms get violated. So you cannot allow to marry two sisters, except I know somebody who was married to two sisters. It was Yaakov Avinu, and and you're not allowed to privilege the lower born over the actual physical firstborn, except I know somebody who did, and it was Yaakov Aminu. And you're never supposed to sleep with your daughter-in-law, but actually the Mashiach is going to be born from the ultimately from the union at that time when Yudah slept with his daughter-in-law. It's like a it's like an edge. The Torah is a very normative universe, and there are some really important moments that violate the norms. It's like the edge of the normative universe. Wow. Okay. So so what's the story doing here anyway? I mean, other than that beautiful kind of homiletic, which is, yeah, there's, there's, it breaks the norm, but it also establishes Judah in, in, in somewhat differentiated from, from the rest of the, the brothers, which is what happens later on in, in history. Judah usurps Reuben as the as the clan leader. When they're down in Egypt, of course, you know, next week, Judah will be the one that that is the spokesman for the family. Um, and it really takes this moment of humbling. He is humbled by this experience, uh, it's part of the the character development of, of Judah to establish him as um, as someone who who will have experienced this setback and and been able to overcome. So it. it also, I think, in a certain way, it establishes the the purity of the Davidic line, which Ruth, in its own way, undermines. Ruth is a Moabite woman, which is forbidden by uh, Torah law. Um, but Tamar is not apparently one of the seven. They doesn't belong to the seven nations. She's not a, a local that the Torah is either going to call for their utter destruction or for not having anything to do with while the Israelites are in the land. And so it provides a veneer, I think, of purity for, for David. Fascinating. 
Okay, so now we're back in Egypt. We're in Egypt with Joseph, and Joseph is at the home of Potiphar, and she likes This is Potiphar. This is Potiphar. I think he likes him, too. But anyway, so she really likes him a lot. I can't take her eyes off of him. (laughs) And she wants to sleep with him, and things unfold, so to speak. And he's standing. Well, it didn't in, quite unfold. She was left with his garment in her hand. So she's he's outside, by naked, and then she she frames him. And uh, we have to uh, examine how Mister Potiphar behaves here in some ways. You want to you want to you want to offer? Well, so you had a good theory before. The good theory is that. He knows that his wife is a crackpot, and he knows that Joseph is prodigiously talented. So he's got to punish Joseph, but but not executing him. He wants when you to say crackpot, you, you, is Mrs. Potiphar like erratic or erotic? Like is she is she? Well, uh, well so you know the way you said crackpot, I immediately thought of John and Martha Mitchell from Watergate fame. She was something of a crackpot, Mrs. Mitchell, but John never divorced her. And she says some outrageous things about the Nixon presidency while it was coming apart in the early 70s. But okay. I think here with Mrs. Potiphar is that Potiphar knows who she is, and she is uh, attracted to immoral behavior, unless what occurred to me while you were talking, Elliot, is that Maybe her designs on Joseph were not about Joseph, but it's a way of asserting herself over her husband. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Potiphar is left in this difficult situation where he doesn't want Joseph to be put to death because he knows that he's probably innocent. On the other hand, he cannot not accept the tale that his wife tells because she's his wife, and therefore he goes to prison. Right, and in prison, Joseph becomes like the, the the chief prisoner. And and if we read carefully, and I, I'm here this interpretation that that Potiphar is Saratabachim is also in charge of the prison. So in some way, that Joseph functions has a functional role to Potiphar, which which Potiphar feels is indip- indispensable. So so Potiphar needs him to function as the chief prisoner. Which is a, an archetype in, in 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 another movie, Shawshank Redemption, right? Dufresne. It's a remarkable movie in which the character uh, Dufresne is the accountant to the warden, and, and also he, framed, and is also framed. And it's I mean Stephen King, who wrote the short story, you know, I, must have had he must have been playing with the Joseph theme on this, okay? And so here in the in the movie. You know the the prisoner is is in prison because he's framed. The prisoner fulfills the needs, the accounting needs of laundering money for the warden, and and in the end, you know, spoiler. But anyway, the point is that that by having that role, it's very very complicated for the prisoner, and and only until it's broken at the end does it does it get resolved. In prison, though, we have to finish with the two dreams. So he, he meets up with. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker, who are both in prison. We don't know why they're in prison. 
but they're in prison. And they have a dream. Each one has a dream. And the, Joseph interprets their dream. The, the, the cupbearer's dream is he's, he, the cupbearer says, I, I'm, I'm squeezing the grapes. There are three branches of grapes of the vine. And they're, they, 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 they flowered and produced fruit immediately. And I took the fruit and I made the, the wine for Pharaoh. And so Joseph says, in three days, you're going back to your post. The baker dreams and says, I had a dream also. I had three baskets of bread on my head and the bird was eating the bread from the top basket. And Joseph says, in three days, Pharaoh's going to take off your head. And so we said, so there's, it's interesting that Joseph, you know, makes a deal with, or he asks the chief cupbearer, remember me to Pharaoh. But when Joseph interprets the baker's dream, he really doesn't say anything. It says, the, the text is beautiful. It says, uh, In three days, Pharaoh's going to take your head off, and going to impale you on a on a tree. Well, what does Joseph actually mean when he says, remember me to Pharaoh? What is the He wants, butler... he wants to get out of jail. What is I want? understand that, but what is the message the butler is supposed to give Pharaoh that would induce Pharaoh to say, you served well, long enough? What the message to Pharaoh is you have someone wrongfully accused. It's but how moral, does his interpretation of the dream show that? The interpretation of the dream is just instrumental. The interpretation is you're getting out of jail. The, the, the dream is an omen to you that you're going to be free. And now that you're going to be free, do me a favor. Remember me. Get me out of here. I've been in prison, bro. I've been, I've been kidnapped and stolen and sent down here against well, my will. And here I've been framed. Well, why isn't it? it, it all that is correct. But the last part might not even be necessary. You might be able to say, I mean, it's the great line of Gunov Gunavti may I've been I've been kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, you know, very resonant line, but it doesn't even have to be wrongfully imprisoned because you might say, uh, remember me to Pharaoh and tell him that there is a guy down here who can do something that no one else can do. This guy is, uh, you know, all the talents so that we've spoken about, the charismatic gifts. This guy's charism is he knows dreams. Useful guy. So so uh, why doesn't it just mean when you get out of here and, and you're restored to your place, you re remind the powerful people how that I might be, that I'm special and I might be useful to them. I don't think that's what he's saying. Wait, wait, let me say, he's saying, Take me out of this place. I've been stolen from the land of Hughes. So he doesn't say, Send me back home, right? The Gamlo City. This is the part that you're right. The Gamlo City Meuma Hisamo Tibabor. They put me here, and I am wrongfully imprisoned. I haven't done a damn thing, and they put me in the dungeon. But he does. He's not asking for an exit visa. He's just asking for uh, to get out of jail, free card, basically. But, so it's way, interesting, though, because we have the word Vahotseti, which of course resonates uh -huh, yeah. with the Exodus story. Yeah. Okay. And the idea here seems to be that Joseph thinks that Pharaoh is going to take him out of slavery. And, no. and what's going to happen, of course, in Shemot is we all are going to learn that only God can. But in the very beginning of the bargaining with between Moshe and Paro, we're led to believe that Pharaoh is going to be the one to let the people out of Egypt. Okay. So by the way, I just want I don't I don't want to leave without saying the humor, the tremendous humor. Like we talked about. Elliot, you were saying about how this is just the the most massively well told story in the Torah, and I and I concur. It's just really on a literary level so nice. But this this terrific slapstick humor in this, 
fair uh, the 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 big the butler is given his 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 dream and Joseph interprets it. Zeb Petrono, this is the the thing. Shloshet Hasriyim, Shloshet Yamim, Bot Shloshet. So the the three clusters right. of grapes for three days and three more days. Beod Shloshet Yamim, Yisa Paro et Roshecha. In three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. And return you to your job. And then the, the baker's real happy because then he also has a dream of three. And then Joseph responds to him and says, The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will pick up your head and remove it from your body. <laughs> so you've got the exact same words. And it's telling this the story of just this is just a punchline. This is a borscht belt. This is the borscht belt line. Okay, so the, and the, the parsha ends with the birth Pharaoh's birthday. They haul him out of jail, both the the, the wine cupbearer and the baker, and um, and and the wine cupbearer goes back to his post. And that in that moment, I I the way I would direct that scene is. You know, everybody's kind of rooting. Yeah, way to go, way to go, wine guy, right? And then the baker comes out, and they're all kind of like, "What's going to happen now?" And then Pharaoh says, basically, hang the guy. And everybody at the birthday party goes, "Yeah, oh. well, 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 well done, Pharaoh." <laughs> <laughs> so the politics of it are, I think, are clear, with meaning that. Pharaoh has benevolence, but Pharaoh's ruthless. And the and the purpose of the story, at least, or at least one message of the story, and in, in, is of course we're setting this up for for you know next week's telling. This Pharaoh you have to honor in some ways for his benevolence, because he's benevolent to Joseph in the end, but he's quite ruthless. And Joseph will become his subject, who is at every whim of Pharaoh. You need he is he 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 needs Pharaoh's beneficence because Pharaoh will could be ruthless to him as well, and I think that that's the dangerous tightrope that Joseph is walking on, and that's where the partial leads us. You know, this is this is uh, it's, I can't I can't do something as nice as uh, as as Goodfellas, but there's a lot of Game of Thrones here. You know, benevolent benevolent dictators are benevolent, Until but they're dictators. You know, and and Pharaoh's that. Yeah, this is this is about power and politics and and lots and lots of things, which is why on so many levels this is such a rich and beautiful story. It's it's you know, we we have this question, what makes the Torah great? This is what makes the Torah great. And what makes it so, even greater. Right. <laughs> there's this allure of the court though, because the very last line of the Parsha is one of the great lines in the Torah. Yeah. It's the butler did not remember Jacob, uh, Joseph. He forgot all about him. Yeah. Because once the butler is back in the court, he's in the world of Pharaoh. Yeah. And no longer cares about Yosef. Exactly. exactly. Egyptian guys, Egyptian guys tend again, to forget Joseph. Court, what? Egyptian guys tend to forget Joseph. This guy well, forgot him. Looking forward, though, we're left with something you know that's bothered me for a long time: is who forgets the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt? That could only be the other Pharaoh-like figure, and that's God. God does remember them, 
how you smell oh, them. Well, them. he can only remember them after he's forgotten them. I would uh, think. But you know, let's not trash. You know, let's not flag. Not that. trashing. Just oh, this, uh, God has. It's it's not that it's remembering. It's it's not first in his mind. I I I think we can we can save God, but we don't have to. God's a big well, guy. You don't have to worry about himself. God. God can, can for save himself. himself. At any rate, I was going to say what makes the Torah great is this beautiful story, and it's it's told in such a way. And what makes the study of Torah great is that each of us has so much to offer to each other, and learn. We all learn from each other in this, and we hope that the people watching and listening to us have learned from us, at least enjoyed the humor, the pathos, the sadness, the tragedy, the everything that's in this story. I laughed. I cried. It was much better than Cats. Much better than Cats. We can't wait to see you next week on the next edition of Barsha Back. Thank you so much for watching. Send us your comments. We'll see you again.